Chapter 6 Womanhood It was the 5th of May. Alana awoke at dawn, ready for another session with Karam's big sword. She got out of bed and gasped in horror to find her things and sheets smeared. My name is Estelle, and this is Fantasia Divina. When I was in college, I participated in a big Chinese culture show on campus. It was something I really looked forward to every year. There are a lot of performances, singing and dancing. It was so lovely and fun. And not only was it amazing to see a lot of awesome performances, try out a cappella and acting and lion dancing, uh, really it was spending time with these people for the rehearsals and tech runs that was just so fun. And there was something I really couldn't put my finger on, but I really enjoyed the company of these new friends I was meeting. So much so that I would actually feel a profound sadness and loneliness sometimes after leaving rehearsal. I chalked it up to most of them knowing each other already and being quote-unquote actual friends, whereas I was just like an adjacent human. And this was a really normal cycle in my depressiveness, looking at groups of friends and being sad that I don't belong. So I just thought, oh, you know, alas, this is this is life. But it really clicked for me when in the week or so after the show was over my senior year, we had a post-show dinner together and karaoke night. And we sang Chinese songs that I didn't realize were still lodged in my brain from childhood. We sang anime theme songs semi-coherently and also, you know, your staple American pop songs. And I realized I felt like I was breathing after years of suffocating myself. That there was a huge part of me that I didn't have in common with my usual social circle that was just entirely neglected and... Now I think the reason that I had such intense sadness after hanging out with the Chinese-American slash Asian-American kids is that I was walking back into the world where I felt isolated and that isolation was so much harder to deal with directly after feeling connected with a life and a community that weren't my quote-unquote actual friends. <sighs> so I want to think about that version of me as I read this chapter. And I want to think about what other things can isolate you without you even realizing it. But right now, I'm going to take a second and transition into the theme discussion with the 30-second recap of this chapter. Three, two, one, go. Alana wakes up one morning and she's bleeding over her sheets. She's having her period. She doesn't really realize it yet. She's like, shoot, I can't. I need to see a doctor, but there's... Uh, no one can know I'm a girl and she's like okay I trust George goes to George George's mother thankfully is a healer and George is also like okay you're a girl that's fine your secret's safe with me um she's getting along really well with Sir Miles Sir Miles takes her to his barony where they find a spooky magical sword and she even uh like chooses her and saves her life and uh Roger of Conti is like what is that sword it's dangerous but I don't like you <laughs> I like how all of the 30 second recaps just end with me laughing nervously <laughs> I noted down two particular ways I saw isolation in this chapter. First one being when they go to the old ruins. The ruins used to belong to some mysterious lost civilization. Not civilization, but as people called the, the old ones. And Miles, who has sort of been studying them, says, From what I have read, they fear aging more than anything. Sparked my interest because... It was brought to my attention before, I think, from some other things I saw or read, 
about how isolating aging can feel. There was an interview, I think, where some woman talked about how you, you sort of become aware that you're just becoming more and more invisible to younger people. Uh, it's quite sad and quite scary. So I'm glad that I kind of noticed that as a theme here because I think it's something that if everyone else is more cognizant of, then we'll be better about treating other human beings, aging human beings, with more compassion. Not only is aging very isolating, but also just in general, death. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed. I think I'm just giggling because it's such a serious topic. I feel like people have that, what do you call it, like a philosophical <laughs> debate about people don't want to die alone. People want to be surrounded by their friends and their family and whatever. And then there's the dramatic, more cynical other side that says, you know, everyone dies alone. It's just you walking into the arms of the black god's realm. And that aspect I kind of also saw when Alana is in the spooky, spooky basement of the ruins and she has that sword with her and the darkness is sort of closing around on her, choking her and killing her. And in this moment, she sort of, you know, when she realizes she's out of magic, she can't do anything, she accepts death. It seems oddly befitting that in that moment when she comes to term with dying, she is completely in isolation and that the source of death itself, that black, shadowy, invisible magic is also like closing in around her and cutting her off from the outside world. <laughs> what am I supposed to be learning from this? I'm not really sure. Uh, second part, second part of this theme discussion that I picked up on. I want to read this passage that really stuck out to me and I want to kind of think about how it maybe relates to the theme. Alana is with George's mother and she's talking about, you know, how she hates being born a girl and having to deal with having a period now and she's she's just very mad at the the circumstances that life has dealt her. George's mother says to her, "Listen to me. Your place in life you can always change, whether you have the gift or not. But you cannot change what the gods have made you." The sooner you accept that, the happier you will be. I think this is also after Alana, like, in her uh, argumentative anger and defiance, she says something like, I'll just use magic to make this go away, this being, like, her period. And the George's mother is just like, Ah, uh, no, you can't do that. That's not something you can do. That's not possible. But I really want to think about why isn't that possible? So in the same chapter, they've shown that you can get a charm against pregnancy, um, the tortel equivalent of birth control. Why can't you use magic to stop your period? And also like, yeah, the way I can see isolation fitting into this bit is I feel like if, if I were a trans person in tortel hearing this, I think that would make me feel really alone like that kind of sentiment like nope sorry this is this is your body and this is you and this is what's meant to be so you just better accept it <laughs> you know i said it's like a hypothetical because there's all this language about like the gift and like tortal's gods which make it uh, immerse me more in the fantasy plane but as soon as i say it out loud i'm like oh wait no no people also just change the language a bit and that is also what people say out here as well. I was reading this passage and I was thinking to myself, you know, how do I make sense of this in, in treating it as a sacred text? So not thinking like, oh, well, you know, Tamara Pierce just probably in the 80s wasn't really aware of trans people. But I guess I still sort of explain it with a similar train of thought. George's mother 
I feel bad I can't remember her name, <laughs> that she is just not really aware of maybe her words implications. Yeah, before I was like reading it and feeling sort of sad and uncomfortable and thinking like, really, is that really how the gods like might feel about you? I don't know. But then I think this ex-priestess of the temple of the mother goddess, that she just has more to learn. I don't have to take her particular words as sacred. <laughs> For the penultimate Lectio Divina, this is the quote I pulled at random from the chapter. Could could we just say I picked lightning from your armory? Stage one of Lectio Divina is looking at the text narratively. So this is in the conversation between Alana and Sir Miles about the magical sword that saved her life and that clearly has something mystical about it. She's called the sword lightning and she's asking Sir Miles, hey, maybe don't tell anyone about how this supernatural sword seems to have chosen me. And then moving on to stage two, so can I think of any allegories, metaphors, other stories, other songs that this reminds me of? Could could we just say I picked lightning from your armory? I'm really still scrabbling for thoughts here. Something that sticks out to me is lightning, obviously because it's capitalized, because it's what she's named her sword. But I'm just thinking about how lightning the sword, in chasing away the dark, scary magic that might have killed her, the sword also becomes kind of emblematic of protection or powerful magic. And I'm thinking about where lightning maybe appears in other forms of media. And then the first thing that jumps into my mind is the lightning bolt scar on Harry Potter's forehead. Also a symbol of sort of really powerful magic and that scar is only a scar because of the protection that Harry's mother gave him and I don't know. Again, this stage is the hardest stage for me. Let's think about stage three where we look at what the text reminds us of in our own personal experience. Immediately the first thing I think of is how how I used to name what things I named? I think you give names to things that are significant, that are important. Swords, obviously, in this knight's world are one of those things. For me, I named my musical instruments. My flute's name was Cornelius. <laughs> I have three ukuleles. They all have names that have their own sort of backstory and significance. What else do I name? I also name my laptops. So I'm just thinking how I give names to inanimate objects, but are kind of the uh, the objects in my life that carry a lot of importance and prestige. And then step four of Lectia Divina is to think about what the text is calling us to do. In this sentence, Alana repeats could, right? Could, could we just say I picked lightning from your armory? Because she's, this whole situation is kind of freaky, but I admire Alana for still asking that of Sir Miles. I think I'm glad that even in this moment full of tension and apprehension and nervousness, she still remembers to set this boundary that ends up being important for protecting her later on because she has a suspicion that not everyone will be thrilled to learn that she's got a, a sword of destiny. And so she she makes sure before you know they go back home, she makes sure to ask Miles, hey, can we keep this a secret between us? I think I would feel called to, even if things are kind of nerve-wracking or even if I'm kind of nervous about asking to, you know, make those requests and to not be afraid to ask people to do things that I think would help me be safer. 
this feels kind of trivial, but I just thought of it because there's a dog barking next door. But for example, I used to have a real crippling fear of dogs. When I used to go over to someone's house who had a dog and I knew it, I used, I would not say anything. I used to, I think the thought of asking someone to like put their dog behind a gate or in, you know, in a separate area in the house uh, used to really free, like I would feel really ashamed at the idea of, of asking that of somebody. I mean, even though I'm not as terrified of dogs anymore, I feel like that kind of thing should be something I'm okay with just asking, saying, hey, I would feel a lot safer if you put up the baby gate so that the dog can't run up to the door when I get there. That's that's my takeaway. In this chapter, I want to bless Duke Gareth. He recognizes, and kind of has to stop himself from saying out loud, that Alana's dad is not the best of men, or the best of fathers, really which is all the more disappointing because he likes Alan of Treebond. So I think that's why he's happy to know that Alana has a good relationship with Sir Miles and that he gives her permission to go to Olau with him and to go on this trip to Persopolis. Because uh, allowing Sir Miles to take care of her and teach her and spend more time with her provides her with some parental guidance and sort of like a fatherly figure that she likely grew up without. So... God's all blessed, Duke Gareth. Next time, I'll be reading the last chapter, chapter 7, The Black City, through the theme of courage. In the same way that Vanessa and Casper end each book with a discussion about the theme of love, I like the idea of having a common theme to end each book with. For Song of the Lioness, I think it's going to be courage. Anyway, bye for now. And as usual, I didn't pull up the timer beforehand because I am a dum-dum who brings you gum-gum.